stargazers, and welcome to 7th House Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek. For those of you who are just joining me, well, welcome. I'm glad that you found my podcast. What I do with 7th House Astrology is that I take a different aspect, such as a house or a planet. Pretty soon we'll be getting into actual aspects, such as squares, trines, you know, sextiles as well too, but I usually just take different aspects or different topics that are related romantically. Reason for why is that I explore all these things within the eye of Sinistry Astrology. And really towards the end of my episode, I really try to answer the questions or actually answer the one question, what makes relationships tick? And Or just, you know, what have we learned from this particular episode or what have we learned from the particular aspect that we had just studied within the last week? For those of you who are also continuing to join me, well, welcome still. I'm really glad that my podcast is a source of not only entertainment, but also that it's very informative for you as well. So before we get into this week's episode, I thought I would give you an update on Mercury Retrograde, which actually, as of February the 3rd, so if I will look at my calendar really fast, so as of this last Thursday, it has stopped. So what that means is that Mercury Retrograde is now, uh, it has stopped going backwards, and it is now at stationary phase. Now, again, with retrograde planets, as I'd mentioned, I think briefly last week with Venus retrograde, just because some uh, planet is stopping the backward motion doesn't mean that's completely out of retrograde. There is a situation called shadow, which is where that planet, as I've mentioned before, just sits still for a while before it goes direct. I think with Venus retrograde, it usually takes about like a week and a half or week to week and a half is what I'd say roughly before it goes direct. Mercury retrograde is about a week. Uh, Mercury actually moves pretty quickly and changes his mind pretty quickly as well too. So it should be about a week before we see Mercury going direct. But um, I... In order to mention the effects of of this shadow period, and I still have really have faced the shadow period very bluntly, to be honest with you, I have to reveal a truth about myself in the regard of my own personal life. For a couple of months now, I've had a really bad issue and a bad medical problem in the regard of women's health. And right now, I am actually slated to go under the knife. Well, with that said, I this last week, I could just tell that Mercury, Mercury retrograde, Mercury shadow was really at work. And I could definitely tell that it was also Mercury's position was also conjunct Pluto because uh, there were a lot of missed phone calls, a lot of phone tag, and especially a lot of lack of listening and a lot of lack of communication when it came down to the insurance company's part on actually covering the actual surgical procedure. 
as you can imagine. Well, first off, I was really not feeling very well this last week either. I could definitely tell that everything that's going on from, you know, retrograde to stationary, this is all going on outside my sixth house. My health, it just slipped. I was in incredible amounts of pain, not doing so well. I'm a little bit better, fingers crossed, knock on wood, but I'm a little bit better now, but last week was really a struggle for me. With that said, though, to have the insurance company play basically play games with the doctor's office and state that the surgical procedure wasn't covered or that I wasn't covered and just try to play dodgeball, there were a lot of times when I had to call the insurance company where they would either play games with me, and I just kind of felt like there was a power play. The power aspect of Pluto was definitely rearing its ugly head this last week. The insurance company, I could just tell, they knew they had a position of power. They knew they had the upper hand, and they used it in the worst ways possible, by lying, by being deceitful, especially with the doctor's office, and you know, playing dodgeball in trying to cover what should have been covered. Um, really just playing, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about as well, too, when really it was something that should have been covered. The bright side of it had to come when, unfortunately, I felt like I, you know, especially towards the end of this last week, I just had enough. And I literally had to show someone who was boss and become very clipped and become very sniped almost. I was trying not to be clipped and sniped, but um, I had to show the insurance company who's boss and unfortunately, we're in that phase right now, especially with Mercury conjunct Pluto, where it just seems like everybody has this power play going on. It's like they have a lack of power in their life. They feel like the only way that they can gain that power back is to make someone else's life miserable. And for me, it was very terrible in the regard that I felt like I had to be, for lack of a better word, I had to be a bitch in order to get anything done because otherwise it was just a game of round robin, you know, over the phone, you know, there was the um, call from the doctor's office. Then there was a call to the insurance company and then the call to the doctor's office and then call to the insurance company. There were numerous days where I felt like half my day was actually wasted because of this power play. And like I said, I don't feel like I was alone on this one. I kind of feel like there were a lot of people who felt this power play or just had this power play going on in their lives and uh, the struggle of it. I just wanted to address it because obviously it was very frustrating for me, but also it seems to be a common theme with Mercury shadow, especially or Mercury retrograde or Mercury shadow. It seems like Mercury's effects, being that it's a swift planet, it has like immediate effects in our life. But the one thing that I could really recommend, Stargazers, is that if you are the individuals who feel at a lack of power and you feel that you have to bulk yourself up 
by putting somebody else down. Kind of like how I felt with the insurance company and trying to show them who's boss, but getting really sniped and also not to mention uh, filing a complaint about them to a particular agency. But, uh, you know, if you felt like me where it's like, let's show them who's boss, I do have to say, try to remind yourself, and I know it's very hard because um, with Mercury, there's very quick actions, quick mental decisions, but try very hard to take a look at the conjunction and just remind yourself that with Pluto, with that conjunction with Pluto, there not only comes that issue with power, but also Pluto can represent transformation. And with transformation, you know, their transformative mindset, you can cover a lot more ground in the regard that you not only fix a problem that's in your life. So the problem that's causing you to feel like you're not, you don't have power, with a transformative mindset, you can fix the problem. And then furthermore, you can evolve from the problem and the problem can kind of hastily move along and hastily come to more of a resolution in the regard that you're trying to fix the problem or you're trying to be, you know, you're taking a more transformative mindset to it as opposed to power monger, woo, power queen, power king. So um, that's just something I, I could just remind you guys of. Um, and also this is a kind of a mental note to myself as we go into the next week. I just have to say, though, the resolution with the insurance company, my surgery is covered after how many wasted phone calls. You know, my surgery is covered. And uh, possibly after my surgery, I think I'm going to drop this insurance company, unfortunately, you know, due to the fact that I had to administer a complaint, that I had to call them like 15 to 20 times. It was just frustrating. And what I really complained about the most I just felt within this last week was that no one really gave a darn when it came to the fact that here I am, I'm not feeling well. Here I am, I have a life or death issue on my hands. And, you know, you just don't care. And uh, um, I think that's also another side effect of the Pluto conjunction when it comes to Mercury. So like I said, try to be as transformative as you possibly can. And this is a mental note to yours truly as well. And uh, with that transformative mindset, you know, that of problem solving and solutions comes very hasty solutions as well. And a hastier outcome is what I'd like to say and hastier in the nicest, nicer way. So as mentioned last week too, Venus is also stationary and really uh, stargazers. I must have like covered the full array and spectrum of everything because I think the only thing that I've had is just a walk with ex-lovers past. And again, the same thing is just, you know, say what you need to say in your own mind and then just move on forward. You know, moving on forward is really recognizing that you're in the present moment, that those circumstances no longer apply to you, and that there are bigger and better things that are awaiting for you within the day. And for me, I just, I had to keep reminding myself of that, that, you know, we're in the present moment, there are bigger, better opportunities, focus on that. 
And I feel that's probably going to be a continual theme with me um, as Venus also goes direct as well, too. But as I've said, if you do have any Venus retrograde hangovers, again, just make sure if it's with a partner, um, make sure that you're still discussing things and that you're still reflecting on the situations of your relationship, that you're discussing things openly and also just openly trying to resolve all loose ends. If it's a situation like where you're single and you're just kind of dealing with different sort of situations, again, try not to be hasty when it comes to appearances and changing them. If there's anything driven by a lack of self-confidence, make sure that you're working with that. And also just wait before you make any hair changes, makeup changes, any sort of cosmetic changes at this time. It could still have, even though uh, Venus is re- uh, is in shadow and no longer in retrograde, there can still uh, be issues where things can go awry. And then just if there are lovers, like ex-lovers past that are haunting you, um, just make sure to continually remind yourself of the present moment as well. But, you know, with all of this said, Stargazers, I have to say that I'm glad that this retrograde period is over. It's been quite an eventful time for astrology. So I'm glad for this time being we're, we're kind of wrapping it up with a bow. So with this week's episode, this format or the format that I t- have taken this week is a little bit different from the last couple of weeks where the last couple of weeks was usually covering a house, then I covered a planet, and then I covered a personal topic. This week it's house, planet, and now another house, which, you know, I, as I've said, it, it's always, I, I, I don't mind whatsoever, but uh, I know it's just a little bit of a different format. However, I felt that this was a good time to cover the eighth house this week. Now, as some of you who have listened to me from the beginning know, when it has come down to the eighth house, I remembered I mentioned it, you know, completely in all, you know, like almost every single minute in my first podcast, in my very first episode, only to say with the second episode to say, well, you know, that's a little too, you know, it's it's really too deep and it's really too far off. It it represents a honeymoon phase where we're at the beginnings. Well, now that we're in icebreaker territory, again, I feel it's very perfect. And I feel like with the eighth house, it's really a personal interest to me because I've had two things occur when it comes to the eighth house. So the first thing is that I have... Well, I've had one transit outside my eighth house personally, and that is that of Neptune. And I just have to say a lot of the themes of the eighth house, when I was kind of diving in a little deeper this week, have really hit home for me. I just feel like it's just very prevalent, especially this year, and especially in this time and in this moment Soon, I also might experience Jupiter hitting the mix of um, Neptune. 
outside of Pisces and right outside my eighth house. So this um, sort of the, the themes of the eighth, eighth house may increase exponentially for me. And now that I kind of know a little bit more about the eighth house, I'm hoping that the certain energies that come up are far more mature, you know, having dealt with them before and that, you know, they can lead to the deeper meanings that um, are usually warranted and wanted when it comes to eighth house energy. The other situation is that I had a crush within the last year where my, so I have a stellium in my chart that's between my moon, Pluto, and Saturn. When it came to looking at my crush's chart and also my synastry chart, my overlay over my crush's chart, I did notice that that stellium is sitting right outside his eighth house. And I'll explore the implications in just in just a moment, but I just felt like a lot of the themes of the eighth house also really pertained to this crush or this relationship and also explained to me as to why this crush is so hard, even to this day, why it is so hard to shake, even though I have moved on from this person there are times where I still regale in the the past of liking this person, or there are times where I regale in still liking this person. So like I said, this crush has been very hard to just completely shake off and to completely move on forward with that. So the general associations with the eighth house is, well, I'd have to say that along with the 12th house stargazers, when I first learned about the 8th house, it was just about as nebulous as the 12th house is. Um, And it can be a very elusive house in general. But uh, the two terms that that I actually remembered from when I was first learning how to read charts was that the 8th house rules that of inheritances and death. What a way to put a full period or a full stop on something when it comes to learning about astrology. As you can imagine, with that full stop there, it kind of put a monkey wrench, so to speak, or the interpretations of the eighth house kind of put a monkey wrench, so to speak, in a lot of different readings of charts to where it just it just didn't make sense to me for quite some time. But normally when I'm dealing with an elusive house or an elusive planet, the one thing I like to do is I like to go back to the sign that rules it. And in this case with the eighth house, it's ruled by none other than Scorpio, which actually makes sense as to the elusive quality of the house, if you you ask me. So for those of you who might have known Scorpios in your life, like somebody who has their sun sign in Scorpio, or someone who has either their ascendant or their personal planets, moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars being predominant, one thing that you'll see is that one of three archetypes usually comes out, you know, along with the elusive quality of Scorpio, there are three archetypes that usually come about. The first one for me is the truth seeker. 
And normally with these archetypes, it's not just in describing the character traits of the particular sign of Scorpio. Sometimes to me, it's just the archetype of Scorpio and how to understand its energy when it comes to astrology. But there's the truth seeker. So for those of you, again, who know Scorpios or anyone who has a personal planet in that sign, normally they're the type where the surface value does not appeal. This could pertain to when they're watching the news or they're watching the latest headlines and they just don't, they just feel like the headlines are not really telling the full truth or they're not really telling the full picture or just sometimes too, when it comes to life, um, a lot of individuals in this sign just feel like they're being lied to, or there is just a candy coated sort of facade that's being presented to everybody, but there's a lot more underneath lurking underneath the surface. And really with Scorpios, they usually feel like it's their job to actually get to the hydra, get to the bottom of this very essence that is considered to be the truth. So in that regard, I feel like truth seeker definitely applies. And also just, I just feel like anything that pertains to the eighth house or anything that also pertains to Scorpio, um, whether it's somebody's planet or whether it's just um, a house that's ruled by Scorpio in one person's particular chart. I just feel like the truth seeker really definitely comes into play, which is, you know, scratch beneath the surface and really get down to the nitty gritty. And I feel with, with the eighth house that that's definitely a part of its energy too, is seeking for the truth. Some, most of the time though, whether it's a transit or whether it's within sinistry, it's really seeking of the truth of yourself or getting down to the truth of you and your soul and the inner deeper meanings that make you tick which can be, you know, I think this is why this particular house can be a little hard to deal with at times, you know, seeking the truth of you and getting to your inner core can be very unnerving sometimes, or actually I would say most of the time. And uh, it takes a lot of guts to really unveil that. The second archetype that I usually see with Scorpio whether within a chart or whether it's somebody who is ruled by the sign is that of transformation. Now Scorpios, those who have personal planets, their sun, their moon in that sign usually are pretty big about transformation. You know, they transform themselves often and they kind of wonder why the other signs don't do that as well. Transformation can be in just letting go of the going, letting go of the old habits that no longer serve. So kind of like with, um, you know, kind of the image of the scorpion shedding. I don't actually, I don't know if actually scorpions are like snakes where they actually shed their skin, but I kind of liken it to the analogy of the snake shedding its skin, letting go of, go of that old and then reemerging as a new snake or reemerging as that new person. And again, it's, you know, with Scorpios, they feel like they come to a lot of profound truths and a lot of profound, profound revelations that they feel that the other signs could benefit as well. Transformation is definitely one of the key words within the eighth house as well. 
uh, within the eighth house, transformation usually is followed by sex. Uh, so the whole old Parisian notion of la petite mort, which is a little death, um, that's how the French um, kind of reveal sex. So within the process of the little death, what dies, but then what reemerges from that death. And also, too, within um, just relationships and also within one's personal self, the only way to see the truth or the only way to kind of accept the truth is to transform deep within. Again, that's another area that can be very hard for all of us to kind of deal with, especially deep within our, in ourselves, because we're kind of afraid or most of us are kind of afraid of change and afraid of that transformation. We like to see the end result of transformation. We don't always like to see the process, however, of transformation. And I feel like that the eighth house challenges us to really see the process and go through the process of that as well. The third archetype that I usually see with Scorpio that I feel also can pertain, pertain to the eighth house is that of the warrior king or warrior queen sort of archetype. The warrior king or warrior queen is how I view a lot of people who are in Scorpio and, and in their relationship with life. So instead of just emerging into the world, into the working world, as though it's just an ordinary everyday thing, to me, Scorpios really, really treat it as though the world outside them can be an enemy and they're going to conquer it. You know, they're at battle with the enemy and they're going to conquer the enemy. In a way, they're very ambitious, just like with Aries. You know, like with Aries, they are ambitious. However, unlike Aries, they get a little steely with their ambitions. And it's definitely an eyes, you know, eyes on the prize and making sure that you win that prize. And that prize could be a lofty goal. Um, that prize could be a sense of stature in a company, like a higher stature within a company or job, or just higher income as well, too. But it's always eyes on the prize and don't cease until you get it. And I do see this playing in the eighth house in the regard of, you know, the eye on the prize in the regard of, again, with transformation really the eye on the prize on who you emerge as being. And also just with some of the general themes, I kind of feel like that warrior king, warrior queen uh, situation comes out. Sometimes I also feel like you have to be a warrior queen or a warrior king in order to emerge successfully with eighth house energy when it comes down to that. And being a warrior queen or warrior king is not always necessarily bad or negative, actually sometimes it's necessary in order to fully emerge as a new person. And sometimes I feel it's also necessary to fully emerge out of a relationship with a whole new perspective or to fully, you know, it, it basically have to be strong in order to go through very, very deep, intense issues that the eighth house warrants. So what are these issues, might you ask? Well, along with inheritances and death, there is also learning from the past, which is part of the eighth house. I feel that death, again, is part of that transformation, death of the old, rebirth of the new. 
which Heather Ariel agrees with me on that one. She mentions that uh, not only does the eighth house govern death and rebirth, but there's also the whole point of sexuality, which I kind of highlight because I know in the fifth house episode, we had briefly touched upon sexuality and how that uh, how sex and sexuality is ruled in that house as well. She'd mentioned that joint income is also ruled within this house, um, though, like say that you're married to somebody and how your income and your finances will result always depends upon the planet that either is in your partner's chart or else the planet that happens to be in transit outside that eighth house. Taxes are also ruled by this house, this house, sorry, having a little trouble speaking this, this evening, goodness. Obsessions. Now, I kind of underline obsessions a little bit um, because I feel like it just depends on the energy of the house, you know, whether you are new to the energy of the eighth house or whether you're accustomed to the energy of the eighth house and how big those obsessions can be. But then there's also unearned income. So I say that um, you, I, I think the unearned income, a great example of that was when I was in school. I remembered um, my student loans didn't really kick in for the whole semester. And instead of just fighting it with financial aid, I just kind of accepted it and just tried to do with what I had because I knew arguing with financial aid would lead to nothing. Well, what ended up happening, I was still seeking for work at that time because I was a poor, broke student I was still doing my course studies and still just um, being, you know, just being a very devoted, wonderful student. And lo and behold, the rest of that loan actually came to me out of the blue, like about a month later, actually a couple of weeks to a month later. And it, it also happened right when I landed a job, which was kind of interesting how the fates kind of aligned there. But Sometimes I feel with that unearned income, it's just that income that you had expected long ago, but really might have given up on it. And guess what? Due to wonderful, auspicious planets in the eighth house, boom, it lands right in your lap. Or so it seems. So when it comes down to sexuality, as I'd mentioned earlier, so The difference between the fifth house and the eighth house when it comes to sexuality is really the fifth house being ruled by Leo is all about fun and really like new beginnings when it comes to relationships. But really, I think with those new beginnings, just really having some fun. Sex in that house is actually seen more as kind of like the kind of, sorry to quote young Frankenstein, but the, the rolling the hay, you know, rolling the hay, um, you know, and just kind of, you know, it's seen as being very lighter and more fun, you know, like I said, lighter, not taking things too seriously. Also, I feel like with the, with the fifth house, it rules, um, again, because it also rules children, It rules a situation of sexuality where the sex between two partners is consent. It's jovial. Both individuals enjoy the act of sex and they find an appreciation in one another with that. Also with the sex in the fifth house, there comes passion as well too. 
Now, how does this differ from the eighth house, might you ask? Well, good question. With the eighth house, I kind of view a little, I kind of say it's the difference between the roll and the hay that we have seen with the fifth house and tantric sex. Tantric sex, uh, if you have ever experienced it, obviously is very deep. Um, the theory behind it is weaving, you know, both lovers weaving two different forms of energy inside themselves, as well as awakening, you know, having a full Kundalini awakening. Uh, for those of you who have may, ha may have experienced the simplicity of it, it's still rather deep in the regard that it's really kind of being like mindful type of sex, like being more present, enjoying the here and the now. But to me, I feel like tantric sex is really more of an eighth house issue in the regard that the eighth house likes to go deep. The eighth house usually likes to see sex as a deeper representation of going more into the soul or kind of journeying into the soul and seeing what brings up with that. So obviously sexual sessions would be far more intense, be far more serious than in the fifth house. Uh, there might be consent when it comes to eighth house or when it comes to eighth house um, sexuality when it occurs. But like I said, it's just far more deep, intense. Um, in some cases, I've um, with some transits actually, I've actually heard that it can be like the doctor is in. Um, one person is the patient, one person is the doctor, and um, it's usually just kind of dealing with issues that might arise with the whole act of sex as well too. So it, that was very quite interesting to me. The other uh, sort of term that kind of stood out for me with the eighth house was that of obsessions. Now, obsessions for me, I feel it just depends as to whether or not you have planets in the eighth house. If you do have planets in the eighth house, you're already pretty well aware of the energy of the eighth house and how intense it could be, the deep, the intense, the getting down into the soul. So when it comes to transit, it's transits, the obsessions that might result um, when it comes to either everyday life or relationships might not be as great as for somebody who, say, does not have planets in their eighth house as well. I can speak to my own situation in the last year with the crush. I do not have planets in my eighth house in my natal chart, when it came to the fact that three, my stellium was outside this guy's eighth house, for me, the obsession you know, area became very strong for me. Now, let's just say with obsessions, not so strong to where I was stalking the guy and not so strong to where I was doing things that were illegal, but strong enough to where I felt like I was kind of obsessed or overly focused on certain aspects that were a little weird and that were not really very typical within relationships for me. And, um, for me, um, what I, what kind of worked for me was 
I ended up having to take some of the things that I obsessed over when it came to this crush or that I fixated on, so to speak. One of those things being this guy's independence, that he was just very independent and he kind of did what he did uh, whenever he wanted to. I took that sense of independence and really tried to embody a sense of independence inside myself. And I kind of feel like I, I got a little more of a deeper meaning about what that means and how that enriches my life as opposed to just learning from this crush, which again was kind of obviously if obsessions were resulting, there was a little too much energy going into the relationship there. It was also a little bit unnerving for me. It was like, uh, now I feel sick and I'm not trying to be a sick person in this regard, but that can definitely be the unsettling aspect of the eighth house as well when it comes to obsessions. Astrology.com mentions that when it comes to the eighth house, the nature of the house is best illustrated as we've mentioned earlier with, with La Petite Mort. Through sex, so when it comes to transformation, through sex, we lose a part of ourselves only to gain more of a part of ourselves. So again, that's a definite theme when it comes to the eighth house. And also they'd mentioned something that I felt was kind of interesting when it came to learning from the past when it comes to this house. And learning from the past, they mentioned like getting into rituals to look deep into our soul and to learn what comes from our past. I would say that, you know, if rituals are your thing, um, definitely you can do them. But um, when it comes down to eighth house energy, I would say just um, look into any sort of stuck issues that you may have had from your past situations, whether it's from childhood, whether it's from the immediate past. Um, we could learn from exes when it comes to this particular house, as well as we can learn from childhood. But what are the issues that are keeping us? I think it's really um, more of an explanation of what are the issues that are keeping us back and holding us back? And how can we transform these issues to where we can move forward and emerge more triumphant in life and lead a fuller life as well? So that's definitely something that is, that's a wonderful thing to explore within the eighth house. Of course, it is, again, as with all natures of the eighth house, it is a little unsettling but still very revealing by the same token. Rachel Stewart Haas also adds that the eighth house is mainly just that of shared energy, whether it's the income, the taxes. It's usually just like a shared energy situation and how deep we can go into our psyches or how deep we can go into our souls. And again, emerge uh, the least traumatized, so to speak. So I know what you're thinking. It's like, well, it seems like the general astro astrological implications are very sinistry related, especially when it comes to sex and obsessions. And you would be right. But there are some other things that I would like to add when it comes to sinistry, when it comes down to the eighth house that I find that are they're very important. So again, my takeaways, like what I had actually experienced, especially with this, with my particular crush, 
This is definitely a house where the planets start to take on a scorpionic quality. So I noticed this when um, I noticed that my moon, particularly, my, my moon's part of my stellium, and it happened to hit outside this guy's eighth house. To me, the moon went from being a Libran sort of moon to like a scorpionic moon where I was very not only obsessive, but maybe also a little possessive of the guy or feeling possessive of the guy. I personally am not a possessive person in real life. Um, I just felt that need to be like extra protective and possessive of this person, however, and that kind of made sense. And I just remember thinking, it's like, where is this coming from? This is not me. This is typically not me, but where is this coming from? And the unsettling factor is obviously the eighth house energy that was being exuded from this relationship or from our relationship. So with this Scorpion equality, especially if you have a personal planet outside of your partner's house, everything goes way deeper and takes on a big level of intensity. Sometimes, especially if you have a personal planet outside of somebody's eighth house, it kind of, it, you kind of display traits that are really not typically of your own is what it feels like. It's kind of like you're being another person or even worse, I just felt like in my case, it's like I was being the person who I once was when I was like 14 years old. You know, it's like you're being a more immature aspect when it comes to obsessions and being possessive and being protective of a particular individual. The eighth house does take on a very sexual quality and that I did see um, with my crush. It's like I, I saw him in very sexual ideals, so to speak. It can also indicate a separation or divorce. I know a lot of um, sinistry astrologers had mentioned that. It does make sense because where the seventh house indicates marriages and two people coming together, the eighth house represents the honeymoon phase, and it can also represent that do or die phase in a relationship, which is, does it actually work? Even though, you know, I know my partner's ticks, I know their, his or her quirks, does the relationship still work or does it not? Does it actually, do these quirks, do these little things that I find out about this person, do they cause this relationship to fail? Or, you know, did I make a mistake in this relationship and maybe this, that maybe there should come an end with it? It's also a very elusive relationship, eighth house relationships, that is. For me, it was you want it to go deeper, but you can't pinpoint how. And I think the real reason for why is that Heather Ariel and also John Townley mentioned that the eighth house, whenever there's somebody who has an eighth house influence over you, basically your partner can affect you in unconscious ways. And also it's almost very magnetic like sexually magnetic as well as just magnetic in general. You just feel very drawn to this person on a very primordial level. And the elusiveness of the relationship is 
I think it just results in the regard that you're just, you're drawn on this primordial level and we don't really have experience with dealing with the primordial level of our brains, even though it's clearly there, even though we clearly have an amygdala and we clearly have very primal instincts, you know, sex being one of them, but also the, the ability to fight or, or go for flight is also very prevalent. You know, we just, we're not very adept with our, you know, primal instincts or our primal brain. We're more adept with our societally acceptable brain and our acceptably, our, our societally acceptable behaviors as well, too. So with this regard of your partner can affect you in unconscious ways, there's almost a magnetic form of the relationship. I think it's fair to say that when your relationship is ruled by the eighth house, as was the case with me when it came to my crush, I sometimes feel like it's not always the most optimal of relationships, that um, it really needs to be grounded by other energy in the chart. Otherwise, it can get down to an idealistic relationship. It's almost like a Neptune sort of relationship where you're kind of idealizing each other. And um, I mean, again, it can also happen if your partner's, uh, one of your partner's um, planets also hits outside your eighth house as well. Sexual obsessions and infatuations can result is what Heather Ariel can add. And also John Townley adds too that the eighth house can also cause us to pull deeper into ourselves. The relationship will cause a chain or tr a change or transformation, and you won't look at anything the same way again. In fact, I feel with the relationship, whether it is a crush like with me, or whether it's an actual real relationship that you have between each other, you won't look at anything the same way again, and you possibly won't look at relationships the same way again after this sort of contact. John Tanley goes on to add, you will both be the wiser and hopefully the better and happier for the understandings brought on by what may have been a chance encounter, but a fated one as well. The issue of fate really comes into play with the eighth house. There is more going on in the relationship than what meets the eye. And what John Townley mentions is that because everything is heavy and deep, I feel like I concur with him. It is advised to set aside some more personal time to process the inner transformation that is taking place in the relationship. And I feel the best way, it's kind of like with a, a Neptune sort of relationship or an idealistic sort of relationship. The best way to kind of get away from having hooks being, you know, kind of into you or in the case of the eighth house in, you know, in order to prevent having obsessions, like unwieldy obsessions from resulting and also having unwieldy sort of emotional reactions from resulting within this intense placement, just pulling back really. Um, like kind of like what I had to do with my crush, I had to pull back and see, you know, the thing that I was obsessive over was this guy's independence. So obviously adopting independence in me and learning from that actually helped to enrich my life 
coincidentally, it also helped me to distance myself from my crush as well, too. But I just, I feel like it's good to either digest what's going on in the relationship or learn from what you, like the deep interactions that you're having, like kind of take some time to just really internalize that and really see how that plays a big part in this really, really, really deep relationship. John Townley also mentions that because everything is taken too seriously, I don't know if this was John Townley or this was my takeaway, but because everything is taken so seriously, find a way and a place to kind of not, to be a little light, more lighthearted and to laugh it off. You know, add some air into the room. You know, sometimes when everything gets to be so serious and deep, feels like the air sucked out of the room. Put some air back into the room by infusing a little bit of a sense of humor. And I'm sure that your partner could appreciate that in turn when it comes to adding and infusing a sense of humor. In fact, knowing the eighth house, that sense of humor can bring a lot of truth and a lot of deeper meaning into the relationship and can suffuse the relationship with forms of um, a deeper form of meaning than just being deep and profound all the time. And then he also mentions, John Townley, that is also mentions, seek guidance from the outside of the relationship. So definitely like ask your friends about the relationship or feel free to ask your friends about the relationship, how they're feeling about the person that you're with. And um, really kind of really set aside some time to really listen to their input. In the regards with my crush, I remembered I ended up, you know, when I was going through that transition phase of trying to get over this guy, and trust me, I'm still trying to get over this guy. It's very, very, very hard. But I did end up asking uh, my mom, you know, since she'd mentioned that she did not like this guy whatsoever. She did not like the photos of him. She just didn't really get a good feeling about him. I asked her why, and she had actually mentioned to me that he actually looked like my grandfather, which I had no idea. Well, I really had no idea who my grandfather was, never met him. Uh, he actually passed away when I was a very young child. So that was a very, very interesting realization, and not only an interesting realization, but also a very startling one. I'm like, oh, that reminds you, it's, this person reminds you of my grandfather. How creepy is it that I'm, I'm pursuing somebody who resembles my grandfather? That's almost kind of weird in a way. It is a weird occurrence that we, we tend to pursue people who either embody someone in our family that you know, it's either somebody who we've never met before or just traits that we love about our parents. Sometimes we kind of seek for that in relationships, but to have the situation where this guy actually looks like my, he looked like my grandfather and or looked as, as my grandfather did was just kind of, um, like I said, kind of creepy. And let's just say it kind of helped me to move a little more away from the relationship as well. But um, that guidance was very helpful, I must say. So thank you, Mom. All right, stargazers. Well, since we are 
51 minutes into the podcast and I really would like to kind of wrap it up since, you know, being deep and really being very um, intense, this episode has really been a very deep um, meaning for this one. So I'm going to actually do something else that's uncharacteristic of me and forego a sample chart for this time around, although I will revisit it uh, within the next week. But I'd like to kind of um, really encompass, like, what have we learned from the eighth house? So as I mentioned earlier, this relationship really needs grounding. And I feel um, the, the two houses that would really ground this relationship. So when you have a relationship in synastry, sometimes planets that are pretty predominant and pretty saturated take on the theme so like in this case with my crush, um, most of our planets centered around the eighth house, eighth and ninth houses, which was kind of interesting. But since it's centered around the eighth house, um, it was very eighth house heavy, kind of like top heavy a little bit, kind of like the strong planets or kind of like with our um, planets that are very strong within our charts. It kind of, it takes precedence. It's, it gets a little top heavy sometimes. So um, if you do find that you're in a relationship that is top heavy with the eighth house or that's very eighth house saturated, I would say try to see if there are planets that are also in either the fourth or the second houses. Even though the second house is in opposition to the eighth house, I find that it grounds the eighth house nicely in the regard that second house issues are all about what we crave when it comes to security of our relationships. And I feel that that kind of grounds the deep, deep, deep aspects that we find within the eighth house in the regard that we're, we're forced to revisit like what we want and what we crave and the stability that we need. And sometimes I just, you know, really feel that when it comes to the eighth house, that um, the 8th house doesn't really give that stability alone. You know, you can only go so deep before you feel so suffocated or you feel like you're losing your mind and becoming a completely different person from who you really are. And so I, I feel like that's important. The 4th house is also great in uh, rooting and grounding down um, this sort of relationship in the regard that the fourth house also encompasses our heart and what we really want in our relationships. You know, even though it's the house of home and the house of feeling comfortable with somebody, it's also like what we truly want out of a relationship. And I feel, you know, planets that could also fall in the fourth house can really be very revealing and ground and how to ground the eighth house as well too, or this this very saturated energy in the eighth house. I also feel that when it comes to obsessions, as I I think I'd also mentioned this earlier when it came to my crush, I and I found this to be very helpful. But see what you're obsessed about when it comes to your partner, because you know you will feel a sort of obsession, however minor or major it may be. And see if you can cultivate that within yourself. And this can really refine, and you know, everything um, about you. 
and can really refine the the heaviness inside. One thing I forgot to mention with John Townley was that um, the past also reigns supreme in relationships. A lot of revisiting the past, revisiting exes, revisiting things that really don't work or really do work, but they're like antiquated forms of love are also pretty predominant within this house. Remember that when it comes to the 8th house, when you're revisiting the 8th house, you're doing so to transform and to move past blocks. Sometimes where people get stuck in the 8th house, especially in relationships, is just dwelling in the past. And I feel like also a lot of Scorpios tend to have this problem as well, where they they look at the past and they kind of get stuck in the past instead of reforming the past to where it can really serve you in the present. And I feel like that definitely can pertain to relationships. Also remember that everything in the eighth house is very premature. Whatever feels mind blown has yet to be refined. And again, what is mind blowing, try to incorporate that into your own life as well too. Kind of like with the obsessions, you know, what might be mind blowing, see if you can incorporate that theme deep inside yourself and see how much you grow from that in that sort of sense. And, um, I also mentioned this note here. I, I mentioned something like something like solo tantra would be a great, would be just as great as being together. Um, when it came to the sexual aspect, you know, that deep sexuality, maybe trying doing that on your own as well as with your partner would be helpful as well. So stargazers, I know that this is a lot of information, but I do hope that it was very very um, evident and very informative for you. As always, don't be afraid to look up at the stars. Uh, We just went through a new moon and I think the moon is just starting starting to wax. I don't know of any planets that are nearby. Um, It's been a little while. It's been rather cold in the Denver metropolitan area. So it's been a little while since I've been out on a walk, but um, definitely whether or not there are stars in the sky, definitely feel free to take a look up at the sky and make sure that, you know, you're kind of connecting with the heritage of um, astrology as well as just within ourselves. Above all stargazers, I really hope that between now and next week, I hope that you are all well. And being at your best. Again, retrograde planets are all done for this time being. So maybe in station, while planets are in stationary or they're kind of moving in direct, that, um, you know, things kind of stabilize for you and find you to be a little more at a peaceful state of mind. But above all, stargazers, between now and next week, be well. And until then. Be sure to visit Sandra Misek's Patreon page in order to support this wonderful podcast. You can find her at patreon.com forward slash 7th house astrology. 
Also, if you have any questions or comments for Sandra, you can always um, ask those questions or add those comments at either her Instagram page at Sandra.Mizek. Again, that is M-I-S-E-K. Or at Mizek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com.